Shalom, everybody, and welcome to Madua Mada, Why Science, brought to you by Schechter Boston. I'm Rabbi Ravid Tillis, and I am joined today by my friend and colleague, Dr. Tim Morris, as we talk about the science of the shofar. How are you doing today, Tim? I'm doing pretty good. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, this is my great pleasure. It's something I've been looking forward to for a long time. It is a part of our tradition to ask questions. So I thought to invite you to do this podcast with me where I would ask you questions. I hope that any kids or any parents or anybody who's listening might send in some questions that we may use in future episodes. But before we get into today's topic, which I'm really excited about, Tim, can you just share a little bit about yourself? in physics, a master's and a PhD in mathematics and applied mathematics. And I am currently working on another master's degree in bioinformatics. So looking at how math relates to uh, the human genome and things along those lines. Like that's something everybody studies, Tim, things like that. Um, <laughs> but maybe also relevant to this podcast is that Tim is also our seventh and eighth grade science teacher and is really a beloved member of our faculty here at Schechter. Tim, how many years have you been working at Schechter? This will be my sixth year. Wow. You've been here longer than me. <laughs> so in today's episode, we are going to talk about something that I've always been wondering about and never even realized that I had been wondering about, which is how the shofar works. And the reason that it's the perfect time to talk about that is because Rosh Hashanah is upon us. Even more than that, this entire month, the Hebrew month of Elul, we blow the shofar every morning. And so that shofar sound is meant to elicit something from within to remind us about the important holy work that we do during these Yamim no Ra'im, these high holy days, thinking about repentance, thinking about teshuva, thinking about righting any of the wrongs that we may have committed during this past year, and just recommitting ourselves to the highest ideals that our Torah and our tradition espouse. And somehow, it's really been amazing to me, somehow the shofar really does that to me every year. Tim, I figure you know a lot about sound, waves and the science of sound, but also wondering what you can tell us all about the science of the shofar. If we think about the shofar, at its simplest, it's a horn. It is a long tube that uh, air can vibrate inside of. Before we get into what makes the, makes the sound unique and what makes it so loud and those types of things, the first step is to understand the very, very basics. And when you parse your lips and you are producing a sound, you're producing a starting point, you're vibrating air. Actually, you're, you're producing a high and low pressure in a wave. Basically, at the end where you're, where you're making the sound, it's mostly uh, closed off. So it's pretty much a solid edge just with a little hole to allow you to put sound into it, to put that energy into it. 
and at the other end, it's open. The sound of a shofar and why you get really one note fundamentally is coming from the fact that there is that distance defines what the frequency or what the length of the sinusoidal wave that is defining your sound is. So every time that I make a sound, I am somehow changing the energy out near me around <laughs> my lips. Is that right? What you're doing when you make a sound is you are producing a movement of air. You're producing a uh, bunching of air together. Those air molecules are getting bunched together and that's pushing against the next set of air molecules, which are making that bunching of air move along, which is pushing against the next. And it's this step-by-step -step process that just moves the air, that high pressure area out. And that somehow makes a sound. That's what sound is. Uh-huh. Ears, when, they are, when our eardrums are hit by high pressure, it pushes them in a little bit. When they're hit by a low pressure area, it pulls them out a little bit. And our, in, in our inner ear, there, uh, we actually have little nerves that vibrate depending on how fast they're vibrating. And that's how we interpret sound. We uh -huh. are measuring how quickly pressure changes. Now that I have a little bit more of a background on how sound works, so you're saying that the air molecules are put in a really, uh, in a really small way into that first little tube, and then they change inside the tube depending on how long they are? Well, so you are producing a the first pressure sound. front. Right. And By going like this. Yes. Because sometimes I go like this. I, I have a little shofar with me right now. Sometimes I'll go like this. And it doesn't do it. And it's because my lips aren't closed enough somehow. Yeah. So you're so how how tightly you hold your lips together determines what uh, frequency you're producing as you blow through. Okay. And so, and so if you've got a really tightly, if you hold them together really tightly, you're, they're vibrating faster. Mm. So it's producing a higher pitch. Uh -huh. And if you're, if you're producing the right pitch, one that matches the length of the shofar, then the shofar, the vibrations inside the shofar reverberate and you get the big sound. The shofar isn't producing new sound on its own. It's mm. only taking and revibrating the sound that you that you put into it. Mm -hmm. And so if you're putting in a sound that is produced by humming like mm, or something like that, then what you're putting into it is a different set of frequencies and a different a different set of complicated waveforms than if you're doing it by blowing through pursed lips. Uh-huh. Cool. And so what you put in determines what comes out. Well, I think, isn't that life, Tim? <laughs> is, isn't that what life is after all? Isn't it all just what we put in, we get out on the other side? There does seem to be a relationship. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe that's why we blow shofar in Rosh Hashanah, Tim, to remind you that what you put in is what you get out. And I was also wondering if it's impacted by like the, the material. I mean, what's unique about a shofar is that this is bone. This isn't yeah. like a brass, uh, like a bugle or a, any other kind of horn. This is cartilage from a ram. We use ram's horns uh, to blow shofar. 
So does that impact the sound at all? Is, is that a part of the story here? Not nearly as much as you would expect. And the same works out to be true actually in other woodwind instruments. If you've got, got a brass versus a gold versus whatever material you want versus a tin trumpet or whatever, there is very, very minor effects, but it's not something that most people are going to notice. It's not giving a, it's not like changing the sound completely. It's just giving a, maybe some very slight effects to it. But the difference between a shofar and a brass and brass, I imagine has to be pretty different. I mean, they're not even in the same category. They're not both metals. They are both very stiff materials that can vibrate uh, appropriately. And that's what matters for sound. I have with me right now a very little shofar and a pretty big shofar. And um, here, I'll show you. This is what a little shofar sounds like. And, and I'm, and I'm going to try to blow into the microphone here. And uh, so, so that's what the smaller one sounds like, that very high pitch. And then this bigger one, it's going to sound a little richer as far as I can tell. Uh, but I don't know what the scientific... Uh, reality of richer is, but like this, it's like. So how is it that they sound so different, high pitch, lower, whatever it is? I, I'm not exactly sure what the terminology is. Like I said early on, the length determines what pitch you have to put into it to get anything out of it. Because for it to be reverberating in a way that, that makes it make more sound instead of just dying out, you need there to be a standing wave inside of it so that it, that standing wave can keep getting built up as you add more energy by blowing more into it. And so longer wavelengths, because sound travels the same speed through air, longer wavelengths mean lower frequencies. Wow. So a lower frequency means a deeper pitch. Huh. So is that true about like other horns that like a longer horn can produce a lower pitch? Yes. Horns and, um, and horn-like instruments like trumpets and things like that that have valves on them. Yeah. The what the valve does is change the length of the horn. Oh, wow. And so it changes what the frequencies are. It's that like cutting it down and making it smaller as wow that's i never thought of it like that wow that's so interesting i i always it always felt like there was more to it but i think that's kind of what uh what i love about the intersection of science and religion is that religion we can put as much meaning behind it as we want to and yet it is all based on some fundamental building blocks that we learn from science and we know from science that don't have that's not that complicated that that the sound w waves sound differently because of the length of how far they're traveling yeah that's not it's not that complicated unfortunately it gets a lot more complicated at the oh next boy level. <laughs> what's um, the next level the shape can affect some of those overtones mm. and so the fact that the ram's horn the shofar is much flatter rather than just a cylinder changes the set of overtones and makes the the overall shape of that sound wave a lot more complicated and the fact even the fact that you're bending 
that it, the ram's horn has that turn to it also has um, can make what those overtones look like and sound like very different. And right. So, so it's not only about the length, because also that longer shofar that I blew has like three curves up and down on it. And mm -hmm. the smaller one that I blew has only kind of one singular curve. And so you're saying that the number of curves changes the complexity of the of the sinusoidal waves? Yes. But science can also say a little bit about our uh, emotional overtones that get tied. Yes, to please. I want to hear some scientific emotions, man. <laughs> so different memories can be triggered by senses. Sensory input can trigger memories and memories trigger emotional responses. And so sometimes those memories, you lose the memories before you lose the emotional response. Wow. And so things, so if you grow up with a shofar as being super meaningful from a very, very young age, the shofar will trigger those, that emotional uh, significance, even after the memories that are tied behind it, the specific memories that are tied behind it can, can have disappeared. Wow. That's amazing. That, that really resonates for me. I mean, I, and I'm sure that a lot of people listening to this who are um, adults who grew up with Judaism as a part of their lives and they grew up hearing the shofar blown every year. You hear it once a year, um, but it's like a highlight of the Rosh Hashanah service. And there are a lot of other things going on around you, like people you haven't seen all year, or you're dressed really fancy, or you're hungry and tired, or you're with your family, whatever it is. There are so many things that are also happening around Rosh Hashanah. It definitely resonates for me that the sound of the shofar will spark some of that memory and elicits that emotion. So that's awesome. This is awesome, Tim. You're <laughs> awesome. And um, I'm so grateful that we had a chance to record this today. Uh, this was only our first episode. We have plans for the entire year going through the Jewish calendar, some of them around holidays, some around the weekly Torah portion, some of them around just ideas that I've been thinking about. And we'd also, like I said at the beginning, would like to invite people to submit their own questions and their own wonderings, because uh, I, I have yet to find a question that Dr. Morris does not have the answer to. And um, and maybe that's going to be a secret side project of mine this year is to try to find something that you don't know everything about. Um, but he knew everything about the shofar sound, just like I thought he would. And um, to be like fair, I, I looked some things up. OK, well, hey, you know what? <laughs> that You have to do that sometimes. Right. So it's good that I give you a warning. So let me give you a heads up, Dr. Morris and everybody who's listening. The next time that we get together, we're going to be learning about do. D-E-W, do, that moisture, water thing that seems to be a very important part of our religious tradition. And especially around this time of year, we say goodbye to our prayers for do and we start talking about rain, but it makes me think about it. And I'm going to want, uh, I'm, we're going to do a, an episode about that. So on behalf of myself and Dr. Tim Morris, we thank you for listening to the first ever installment of Madua Mada, Why Science. I thought that was wonderful. Looking forward to the next time. 
And on behalf of myself, Dr. Morris, and everybody at Schechter Boston, we wish you and your family a Shana Tova Umetuka, a happy, healthy, wonderful new year. Thank you.